The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Hello from Eternity Leave and welcome back for another awesome episode that we recorded during my pregnancy. Today's episode is with my friend Asia Evans and I am so pumped to share this one with you all because we've talked about doing this for a long time and we get into this like meeting of sorts and conversation in this episode. But I have wanted to have her on ever since I met her and found out she's a financial therapist because I'm like, oh my God, do I have so many questions for you? And it's really interesting, and we dive into this a lot in the conversation, but I think her work can be applicable no matter where you are on the spectrum of finances. And I think we all come from different upbringings. We're all in different places, et cetera, but we all have emotions around money and our finances. And they could be positive. They could be negative. They could be anxious. They could be overwhelmed. Like There's a mass array of emotions we can feel when it comes to this topic. And coming at it from a therapy standpoint is fascinating to me. And I just feel like there's so many little tidbits of helpful information in this episode for us all to walk away with. So again, thank you so much for continuing to support me during this time. It means the world to me. People who are asking how to best support me, I love you. And it would just be to continue to consume the content, share the episodes, rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things. And I love you. Thank you. I have so many personal questions on this topic, as you know, when we first met. Where the hell were we? (laughs) First and foremost. A casual New Jersey suburban Elks Club is where we met. I remember hearing about the Elks Club at work when I worked in the corporate world. And like, I think those who were who I thought the people were that went there historically, like Mm -hmm. rich old white men. And, but then I learned that it wasn't actually rich. Elks Club, I think is kind of blue collar. Yes. Ish. Okay. Anyway, Maddie is like, Hey, I had just moved, I guess a week ago. What? Yeah. Because by the time I was not pregnant and I got pregnant three weeks after moving. Yes, you did. Oh my goodness. So I had just moved. And Maddie was like, come to this mom's night out. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? For some reason, my mom was, was it Maddie's birthday? It was her birthday. Okay. Yeah. So my mom was there and we show up and there's a line. I can't, <laughs> can't get, get in. in. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, what where am I at this Elks Club and waiting in line? I finally get in and that's where we met. But yeah. I remember you saying, maybe Maddie had told me, I don't remember, but 
I asked what you did. Yeah. And you said you were a financial therapist. And I was like, oh, can I be your patient? <laughs> yeah. Like I have so much I want to talk about. Yeah. So this has been a long time coming mm-hmm. and we've talked about it. And yep. I am so excited to have you here to unpack my own shit, but also yeah. I have a lot of listener questions. And I think this conversation is so important and also one that like should be had more often because yeah. I think it's happening in smaller group settings. Yeah. I talk about this a lot with my girlfriends, but I don't think it's happening as publicly. So I want to lay the groundwork. Like how first and foremost did you even get into this and what is a financial therapist? Yeah. So a financial therapist, there's a spectrum. So it goes from one side are mental health professionals who are clinically trained have worked in like therapy, like what we would be used to calling that. Other side of the spectrum is financial professionals. So there are the certified financial planners, financial advisors, and I would say kind of in the middle is financial coaching. Mm -hmm. And so those are the spectrum of people who might be doing this type of work. Right. And what financial therapy is, is looking at and digging into your thoughts, behaviors, feelings, understandings about money and your relationship with money. Now, there are people who, like I said, on the financial side who are going to be dealing with your numbers and like Mm -hmm. looking at them. And as you can imagine, feelings come up when you're meeting with them. But I practice financial therapy like for the feelings. So I am there to just be like, okay, let's talk about your dollars. Let's talk about the feelings that come up. You, you know, we're hanging out with your friends. You spend too much. You feel guilty. You, you don't feel comfortable or you are navigating what it means to have more money than your friends or more money than your family. Like, so- as mm-hmm. you can imagine, there are a plethora of things that come up for people. And I came to this work because when, oh my God, like a decade ago, when I first moved to New York City and was just, you know, bouncing around living my best life, I felt like I was broke and I didn't know why. And I was like, why? I'm doing these things. I'm having a good time. I am. I was shopping. I was going to brunch all the time. I was just very frivolous with my money. And that's okay. But I didn't want to not see where my money was going at the same time. So I also wanted to be living that lifestyle and seeing my savings go up and seeing my retirement go up. And that kind of was an awakening for me. I was like, I think I need to pay more attention to my money. And I was like, I cannot be the only 20-something-year-old going through this. I cannot be the only person who feels weird or is like having my own self-esteem stuff around money. So that's when I started talking about it. And then I found the Financial Therapy Association. And I was like, oh, wow, other people are talking about this too. So great. That's exactly what I want to be doing. And is that like a separate degree? No. So it's a certification. Certification. Mm-hmm. Okay. And were you a therapist? Like, yeah. So what got you into therapy? Oh, I mean, I decided when I was 12 in true Virgo fashion, <laughs> like real casual. I was like, you know, I think I want to be a therapist. As you can imagine, when you're 12, the ideas of what a therapist looks like, very, <laughs> very different, different than the truth. But I I just always wanted to be a cheerleader for people. And I mean, that's who I am as a person, just very positive. And I just hate that people feel so awful about things mm. or feel like they can't share them with other people. And I was happy to support and be that person. So I had been a therapist for probably 10 years at least before I niched down into financial therapy. And when you were a therapist, did you feel like a lot of your patients, is patient the right word? Client? Uh, I call them clients. Client. Okay. Were speaking about this because I know for me, like I see a standard therapist. She's Mm -hmm. not a financial therapist, but we talk about money all the fucking time because it's a lot of 
it, it's underlying a lot for me in terms yeah. of things. Yeah. So yeah. did you feel that way with a lot of your clients? Yeah, I feel like before I niched down, I didn't realize how much I was talking about it because, okay. you know, money is something that we all have to navigate no matter what. So I didn't understand that it was such a big deal until I attuned myself to it. I was like, oh, you want to talk about money? Oh, I wasn't letting any of my clients like let it slide. I was like, Mm-mm, let's bring that into the room. Let's have the conversation. Right. Let's dig into it. So I think it's pretty much the same. But now, I mean, my clients know I'm they're coming to you for that. Yeah, they they know that. And they also a lot of them have been with me for a long time from when I was just tra- traditionally their therapist. And now they know I talk about money. So they know that I'm not letting anything slide. I'm like, oh, yeah, you felt weird. Tell me more. Let's talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> Two things I am constantly prioritizing and encouraging everyone else to as well are my mental health and physical health. For me, this starts with my morning routine. I am prioritizing my mental health by having some very necessary alone and quiet time before taking on my day and simultaneously prioritizing my physical health while including nutritional supplements like AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I've been drinking AG1 for over five years now. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I noticed I had increased energy first thing in the morning and that it helped with my digestion throughout the day. As a creature of habit, it is absolutely my preferred method to start my day. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Because I'm recommending AG1 to anyone with ears, I love seeing my friends and family also get hooked and join the daily AG1 train. I obviously am a huge fan of the company, but my husband is truly their number one supporter. Without fail, he is making his glass of AG1 every single morning, first thing when he comes downstairs before starting his workout. He feels it helps him feel more energetic in the morning and that he's getting the nutrients his body craves first thing, which is a true win-win. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash FFF. That's drinkag1.com slash FFF to check it out. I dream of being a therapist in another life. I honestly thought I like looked into it Mm -hmm. during COVID where I was like, maybe this is my next path. And it could be later in life because I just love talking to people about their emotions and creating a space for them. So maybe later in my life. But I do want to say, like, obviously there are CFPs and all of those things that will give more like numerical advice. I want to focus more on the emotion around money in this episode. What was your relationship like with money growing up? So I came from a pretty like stable middle class situation. I mean, pretty privileged. So I grew up in upstate New York. Both of my parents worked for the state. So it was very comfortable. We went on vacations. We went away. I went to Martha's Vineyard. We went to Florida every year. Like it was a very comfortable upbringing. I'm private school educated throughout. Like these are things I forget. I'm like, oh, I've never gone to a public school before. Hmm. And it's just been really interesting because I think Honestly, because I'm black, a lot of people just assume that my story looks very different Mm -hmm. than what it is. And I'm like, no, I was like pretty privileged. (laughs) (laughs) No, I grew up wealthy. Right. And I was like, it was very comfortable. So I just, I think when I started to understand the dynamics about money, more about looking at other people. And because I grew up in the city of Albany, I grew up in a brownstone in Albany. 
but I went to school in the suburbs, I would see people with these big lawns or garages. And I'm like, wow, they are making it Mm -hmm. like, and it just felt so different where now I look back, I'm like, oh, Asia, you just didn't know. (laughs) Baby Asia, you just, you just didn't know the difference because you, we lived in different types of houses. And my mom was not interested in buying me like Abercrombie pants that Mm -hmm. I wanted when I was young. So I think that was the beginning of me being like, oh, there are these like wealth signifiers that I wanted when you're young as as do young right. people in general. So there was a funny trend on TikTok going around, I want to say like two years ago, year and a half ago, where it was like, what did you think growing up if someone had it, they were rich? Mm-hmm. And people were like an attached garage. Yes. Or a lot of people said the fridge in the basement or a basement <laughs> or a yeah. fridge in the garage, like a drink fridge or an ice cream freezer, those types yep. of things. And it's so interesting how when we're kids, we can attach wealth to like one signifying thing. Totally. For me, I was like, if you had a finished basement, that mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, yep. y- you live the dream. I I know I've talked about this with you. I've talked about this many of times on my platform, but obviously in an episode focused on this, I own my own privileges, like very outwardly. I can't, grew up very wealthy. I also have white privilege, which deeply ties into this conversation, underlyingly so. But for me, my relationship with money, I felt I grew up wealthy, but never really like realized we were rich, if that makes sense. I think we grew up in a very wealthy town and people around me were well off. And I just kind of thought we were all on the same playing field. And then I remember, this is embarrassingly so, but it wasn't until almost like college or after college that I really realized like, oh, I grew up differently. Mm -hmm. Like mm-hmm. there, there was a difference. Yeah. And I remember my one friend saying that to me being like, you keep saying like, oh, like us or comparing Like we grew up very differently. And I'm like, did we? We, <laughs> You've been my best friend since second grade. And she's like, yeah, there's a difference here. I think I will give my parents credit to that. I believe it was because they were always what's mine is yours. Everyone's welcome. Money was being like, they are so abundance mindset where if someone needs something or if they can help and charitably, like they are just so giving. And so I never felt that constraint around Mm -hmm. money, but it was interesting for me to navigate, which is what I want to talk about, because I think this is something that people deal with on both ends of the spectrum is when I graduated and started working, I was like, well, I always thought that I would just continue living this life that I always lived because that was just my norm. Yeah. And then I realized how much these things cost. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I can't, I'm never, I'm not going to ever probably, like I don't envision myself reaching the wealth that my parents had and coming to terms with like, my life is going to be different mm-hmm. when it's in my own means. And how do I feel about that? And I put so much pressure on myself out of school of being like, I want that life. I want that life. And then mm. there's been this recent shift over the past four years, I would call it, four or five years, where I'm like, I actually don't want that life. I want to be yeah. comfortable. I feel very comfortable. I'm very happy with where I'm at, but I don't want the more, more, more. I don't know. Yes. I would love your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so many thoughts. So one, kudos to your parents, right? Yeah. Because I think, and I don't know if we want to get into it yet, but I'm going to go there. No, we can. Let's go. Can't help myself. People don't understand that so much about how we look about money comes from growing up. Didn't you say it's like by seven or something? Yes. Like it's between like seven and nine. Like your 
beliefs about money are pretty much solidified. That's terrifying. It's scary as a parent. So scary as a parent. (laughs) I'm scared as a parent, even though this is my profession. This is what I talk about all the time. This is what I research. I write about it. And I'm still scared. And I'm like, oh, wow, we only have four more years left. Like, what what do I want them to think about money? How do I want them to relate to it? So it really is not just on your parents, but also your environment around you that pour into how you look at money, how you look at yourself, how you relate to money, all of it. So that can be really complex. And if, like you said, you felt like everybody was like you, I felt the same way too. I felt like everybody was middle-class. I thought everybody's parents worked for the government pretty much. And that wasn't the case. And as an adult, I was able to look back and be like, oh, this, this is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. It's not a huge gap, but there is a gap there. So one, we have to look back, right? Kudos to your parents because they, it takes effort to like decide that, hey, this is how we want to raise our kids when we have this wealth. This is what I want it to look like. And your story about like when you're paying for things on your own, like it's so damn expensive. So expensive. And when you see other people and you don't know because money is so taboo and people aren't really talking about it. So you see other people living their life or, you know, spending on certain apartments or going out to eat all the time. You're like, I'm sorry, like, where is this coming from? Like, mm-hmm. what's going on? How is this possible? And that's when I think people go internal. And that's when I think that they start to assign their value to how much money they have, how much money they should be making, which is a whole thing. Like, your net worth does not equal your self-worth. Like, they are not the same. You are still a worthy person if you don't have tons and tons of money. But it's really hard, especially with social media. You see... That's what I was just going to say. Like, you know, people... Listen, well-timed video, some editing, and some emotional, like, provoking music will do wonders for how you see your life. And also, well, the thing about social media is, like, I always say this, and I try to remind myself as a consumer now that I've seen how the sausage is made, Mm -hmm. like, you're only seeing one small sliver of what's happening. And I don't even mean that in, like, the creator trying to portray something that's not reality. Mm -hmm. Even this an example that's so different than this topic, but I was at a wedding and I posted a video of the bride and mother's dance. And it was my cousin and that's my aunt. And it was the cutest thing ever. And I posted a video and my friend was like, she didn't do a dance with her dad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she did. I shouldn't post it. Yeah. So it, it, even that where it's like yeah. you create this perception of what happened yeah. based on what you saw, where whether the person putting it out there means to portray a message or not, you're only getting the smallest sliver. And so when it comes to comparing lives and finances, it's the same thing. I even caught myself comparing myself to this podcaster. And then she came out on an interview and was like, I'm in so much fucking credit card debt trying Mm -hmm. to do this show. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like in my head, you're rolling in the dough. Living the dream. It's happening. You did it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I try to be upfront and, you know, lifestyle also is like, how are these people affording these things if you don't know the backstory? Like right. me living in New York City, I said from the very beginning, my parents bought this apartment. Like yeah. Yeah. that was a huge privilege that allowed me to then be able to save money. I didn't right. come out of school with any student debt. Like all right. of these things, we don't know the nuances of everyone's exactly. life. And it's hard not to compare. I catch myself doing it in terms of work. But I really think it's so important to remember that like you don't have anyone's full story. Right. And that's that's exactly what it is. It is just a glimpse. And going back to like what we we're talking about with the wealth signifiers, like you can see somebody's fancy car, whatever it is, right. but you have no idea how they're paying for that car. Yeah. Like 
no clue. They could be going into debt for that car so that you can look at it and have that moment. And so many people are. Right. And they're not okay financially. They're not financially stable. And to me, I would rather be financially stable. And like, don't get me wrong, it is very hard for me sometimes (laughs) because I want things and I like nice things and Mm -hmm. I want to do it. But the stress, like I am not here for the financial stress of trying to put on for somebody else. I just can't do it to myself. It's not worth it. I don't want that. And it is really hard when you want to keep up and especially when you're young and everybody's looking like they're doing awesome things and you're like, I can't do that because I'm broke and that sucks. Mm -hmm. And to your point about more and more, this, I will die on this hill. There's always going to be somebody who has more. Always. Like Bezos. There's something that somebody Mm -hmm. has that he also wants to or is looking for or there's always more, no matter what the more is, always. Mm-hmm. And that is a recipe for disaster yep. and depression and anxiety and pressure and just feeling like you are striving and working so hard. And what's wrong with me? Because, you know, when things don't go your way, it's really easy to start internalizing that and beating yourself up, thinking that's going to motivate you and shame. Is and I think moving the bar is another thing we do, especially with finances. I catch myself doing it all the time. I remember when I left my job, I was like, if I ever make this salary again, I will have made it in my own career. And yep. as soon as I passed it, I was like, well, what would I be making if I had stayed there? Yep. Like I literally texted my old work wife. I'm like, yep. what What was your salary when- yeah, like, Where are you at? <laughs> like, because you were five years older than me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's so toxic, but it's really hard not to do. So- What is your advice for someone who is feeling guilt around money? And and there are so many different things that you can feel guilt around. Yeah. Whether it's guilt that you're in debt, guilt that you have money, which I know confuses people, but that is very real. Yeah. Guilt that you are making more than your parents. Like, how do we unpack all of these things? Yeah. um, Book a session with me. (laughs) Well, first, I really appreciate that you bringing it up, like the guilt of having money, because I think a lot of times when we have these conversations, it is always kind of tilted towards people who don't have enough money. And and yes, there, there are plenty of people there and it's not a great place to be. And I've been there before just on my own, like, oh God, this stinks. But I think What happens is that we forget that there are other people who may have money that are also going through it too. I think they're, America loves wealth. Like Mm -hmm. we love wealth and we want people to strive to be wealthy so much. But the second somebody's wealthy or has the come up story, everybody hates them. They're so pissed. Yep. And I'm like, that is toxic. Why are we like this? Like what's going on? So I think the idea that wealthy people don't have any problems is really just ridiculous to me. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got baggage. Everybody's got trauma. I don't care who you are. I don't ca- care what money is like you have. But that's a therapist speaking because you're able to validate people's emotions. Mm. And there are angry people yeah. on the internet and in the world who simply cannot conceptualize that people can live differently than them and also have struggles. Yeah. And it's the same, not to bring it back into race, but it's like, People who have a rough upbringing but happen to be white, they're like, well, I don't have white privilege because X, Y, Z happened. It's like you two things can exist. You can have had a hard upbringing and still own white privilege. Your skin is still white. Like, And that's where I feel people just get so lost in this where I don't know if it's a suffering Olympics or it's the unwillingness to accept that like we can have different experiences or just acknowledge that like certain things are harder for others. I don't know. but 
I think everyone's going through something and like if we could just validate people's emotions instead of being like, well, I have it worse, we would all be in a better place. Yeah. And I think everything you said, I think it all applies, all of it. And I think especially when you don't have money and you need it and you need resources, like, yes, wealthy people have resources to help themselves and like help get out of situations. And that's amazing. And hopefully, you know, people use these things for good and do the right Right. thing and are good humans. Like, I want that for everybody. But you could still, you could be broke and be depressed. You could be rich and be depressed. You could hate yourself and hate the people you surround yourself in either financial situation. And I appreciate you saying that this is a therapist's point of view because it is. I mean, it's so clear hearing you speak. Right. Like, it's, I can't get out of that. I Mm -hmm. understand what's coming from it's pain. That's what, that's what you're hearing. That's, where people are coming from, it's the pain and the despair of feeling like if I just was here, if I just had this much, I would feel better. My life would be great. And it doesn't have to just be money. It could be a marriage. It could be a kid. It could be a new water bottle. It could literally be anything. If I just had this, I would feel better. If I just had that, I would feel better. So it's hard for me to just kind of take the therapist hat off Mm -hmm. to understand that it sounds wild to me to think that everybody doesn't have problems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does. What are some like tangible things? Actually, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask one of the listener questions because yeah. it's right on this topic. And I think it's a great one. What are some small steps to implement to create a habit to be comfortable dealing with money? Because mm-hmm. I think money makes everyone or majority of people like their skin crawl. Mm-hmm. It's like that prickly like, uh, it's how I feel when... If I feel stupid, I get this feeling of like uncomfortableness in my skin. Like mm-hmm. if I'm trying to do something I can't figure out and I feel dumb. And I think that that's how a lot of people feel talking about money. Mm-hmm. And I feel very comfortable speaking about money very openly with most of my girlfriends, my husband, my family members, etc. But I realize that that's not the norm. So like yes. how do we get what are some small steps to implement yeah, to create so, the habits to be more comfortable around it? Community, I think, is the first thing. So whether that means you are taking advantage of your community that you have around you, your friends, family, people that you feel like you can trust and start having these conversations with, please talk about it. You have to. I know it will be hard and awkward at first, but it's worth it because somebody in your circle very close to you, I'm sure, is feeling very similar mm-hmm. or has um, similar hangups. And if you don't feel comfortable sharing it yet, because you're going to get there eventually with your personal community, go online. There are plenty of people who are just talking about it and talking about numbers and talking about feelings and talking about strategies and what they're doing. So talking about it and watching people talk about it, I think is like a huge step that we all need to take if you feel uncomfortable navigating money. And then I would say definitely look at it. People want to ignore their money so desperately (laughs) as if it's going to go away, as if you don't have to navigate it. You have to look at it. And I don't care who you are. Like you need to know what, how much money do I make? How much money does it cost for me to live my life in a month? How much money is in retirement or is saved or is squirreled away in some random account? You just need to know kind of what your financial standing is for many, many reasons across the lifespan. But (laughs) I think it's like easiest to put it there. And then I would say if you feel like you don't know enough, which is classic for women, I go on and on about this in my book because I think that a lot of times we've been socialized not to pay attention. Like, don't worry a little hard about it, sweetie. Somebody will yeah. take care of it. And that does not help. It was my boss's help. first question when I told him I was quitting. Remind me, what does your husband do? Oh, sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First mm-hmm. line. 
the anger, the rage yeah. <laughs> that wells up inside of me is hard to contain. But <laughs> yep. I mean, but that's what it is, right? Like a lot of times for women, people just assume you don't need to worry about it or somebody else is going to take care of you. And even if that's the case, right? Even if somebody's going to financially take care of you, that's beautiful, wonderful. You still need to know the numbers. You still need to know. Yep. You still need to know the numbers and you still need to have a basis of some level of personal finance education. Just like, hey, where's our money? Do I have access to those accounts? Where's this? And that's really hard, especially if you're in a heterosexual marriage or relationship and somebody's told you that, like, you don't have to worry about it. Don't don't even look. No, no, no. no. Because women literally outlive men. And what are you going to do if something happens to your spouse? If you don't know where the money is, what happens? Mm-hmm. I also think I talk a lot about division of labor. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the tasks that's divided where, like, I deal with my finances of my company yep. at month end. I sit down, I go through everything, etc. I'm transferring it into another account. Yep. All of those things. And a task that my husband owns is paying our credit card bill, paying most of our bills, all of those things. So while the concept of division of labor is that the task is no longer one I need to worry about, I still make sure I know what's happening every month because I need to be like, what's going on here? Just yeah. A check-in, like, hey, how? what was the credit card bill this month? Yeah. Where are we at? Like, Perfect. looking at something like that, all the same logins, making sure you know where everything is held. Like, if your partner, and you might be the person who's holding on to this task, mm-hmm. if it's the mm-hmm. opposite of what I'm explaining, the other person still needs to have a general idea of where things are, how to access them, and what the groundwork is. And that brings me into my next question, how to navigate, and it was a listener question, how do you navigate these conversations with your partner when you have very different relationships with money? Mm-hmm. Gingerly. So <laughs> first, and I think whenever we're talking about money, we need to give everybody, including ourselves, grace. We just need to like take a deep breath, relax, and say like, hey, I'm not sure, but I want to know. And like go into it lovingly and communicative. I think with relationships, people have a really hard time communicating and not placing blame or getting upset Mm -hmm. and not naming when you're upset. So first communication is going to be key. Like, hey, I really, I really want us to talk more about our money. Just leave it at that. Like, it does not need to be, I'm mad. I feel this. This is what's going on. Go into it without when you're not upset. Like, if your body is activated or triggered and you are sweating, you're hungry, you're tired, you're upset, and some, that is not the time to start talking about right. money. Like, do not do that. And also, don't do it like when you've been drinking either. No. So, I want people to go into these conversations feeling as even as possible, as neutral as possible, because just the fact of looking at numbers or just talking about money, it is going to activate mm-hmm. some people. And and you can say at the beginning of the conversation, I know that we look at money very differently and that's okay, but I still want us to be on the same page about what we're trying to do together. We're yeah. here together to do this together. How can we make that okay? This is a priority for me. Oh, all right. That's a priority for you. Oh, okay. How can we do this together and ask the other person what they need and say what you need. I I would like us to talk about money more frequently. Can we, you know, there are all these fun different ways to do it. Have a money date. You mm-hmm. can go see a therapist if you want to have these conversations. Go see a financial therapist if you want to have them. Make it fun. Like it doesn't have to be this, let's sit in this doom and gloom Excel sheet and 
you know what's happening, but I don't know what's happening. And you're trying to explain it. It doesn't have to be that. So, yeah, I think in a dream world, you and your partner have the same upbringing and the same relationship around money. And that'd be great. But that is not the reality for 99% of us. And I also think it's an opportunity to have very eye-opening conversations that may stem with money, but are more about the way you want to spend and live your life. I at least feel that's the way that my husband and I have kind of felt recently, especially when we talk about finances and we talk about them a lot. And we have, I mean, we've been together since we were 16. So like we've had these conversations forever. Yep. But especially as we've had kids and gotten older and started to talk about this chapter of our life and what's to come, the topic may start at money, but it goes into much more of like, how do we want to live our lives? Like, what are our priorities? Is our priority to make as much money as possible? Or is our priority to spend time as a family and live within our means? Like, and figure that out. And I also would encourage, and I'm curious if you agree, like having these conversations earlier rather than later, I get a lot of messages like, when did you merge accounts? And was that the first time you ever talked about it? I'm like, oh, ah! what do you know? <laughs> like, you should know, at least I think, you should know what your partner is making. You should know if your partner has debt. You should know what your partner has in their bank account. Like, these are conversations that should be had, not in a judgmental way or like mm-hmm. a standard of dating, but like, w- what's our plan here? Yeah. Um, and have those conversations early. Yes. <laughs> Whenever I see couples, I'm like, listen, if you two are even remotely thinking about moving in, getting engaged, do not do any of that until you start talking about two things, money and kids. Yeah. Like those are the two things that I feel like people have to talk about literally as soon as possible, honestly. Like when you're dating and you are realizing like, hey, I want this to go somewhere and I want us to be closer. And the problem is, is that vulnerability is hard. People Mm -hmm. do not want to be vulnerable and it's really complicated for them. So that's what that's what you need to do. If you are going to be getting naked with this person, then we need to get financially naked, too. Like, I love that. That's what it is. So I also think at least I feel there are certain ways to approach topics with me personally, like Mm -hmm. money aside. When my husband comes down in the morning and he's like, oh, this is broken. We need to fix this and this. And he's like looking around the house. I'm like, dude, it's literally 730 in the morning. I don't want to have these conversations right now. Like mm-hmm. I'm not talking about artwork for this room that we haven't decorated yep. at this hour. So coming at it in a way where it's like, can we plan? We have a shared family calendar mm-hmm. and I literally just put on for tomorrow night. I'm like, we need to discuss <laughs> Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. Like, and this episode will be a maternity leave episode. So this is not timely, but I'm like, I'm going to, we're going to have a newborn, yep, a week old potentially on Halloween. So we need to get our son's stuff now. So planning it so that we're not just throwing these topics out yep. in the middle of the day where these types of things are things that stress me out, like the organization or like the decorating of our home. And it's the same thing with money. If you want to have a money conversation, put it on the calendar. Please. Like make it a set thing instead of just casually tossing out like, oh, our credit card bill was really high this month. what am I supposed to do with that information Mm -hmm. at 8 a.m.? Right. And now we're going off to school (laughs) and going off to work like, oh, see ya. Okay, bye. I won't buy my coffee this morning. (laughs) This holiday season, give the gift that everyone will love and that your wallet will be thanking you for. That is Quince. I love, 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 love giving gifts around the holiday season. But when it comes to receiving gifts, I'm like very particular. I want things that I will wear, that I will actually use, and that I will enjoy. So I always think about that when I'm giving the gift. And that is why I'm giving the gift of Quince. 
Quince creates timeless classics that never go out of style. Items that you'll have in your closet forever, which always makes putting together an outfit way easier. Plus, if you are someone who is looking to build a capsule wardrobe, because I think we could all benefit from doing so, they have all of your must-haves, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters from $50, suede and leather jackets, and silk blouses and dresses. However, the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with the top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes on the savings to us. What a huge freaking win. Quince truly has something for everyone on your list, whether it be your mom, sister, husband, or friend. Let me just go out there and recommend their 100% organic cotton oversized cardigan I have in black, and I love it because it goes with everything. Not only is it incredibly comfortable, but the price cannot be beat for the quality, coming in at only $49. Get affordable luxury with Quince today. Go to quince.com slash Cameron for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Cameron and get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Cameron. Okay, I want to ask a few other listener questions. Someone asked on this topic, your husband thinks you don't value money, but you just have a different relationship with it. What would you do? Uh, let's talk about it. Shocking. So, I mean, I don't think there is any help in you asking him why he thinks you think that way, but to actually say, hey, this is how I think about money. This is how I was raised around money. This is what I want to do with my money. This is my priority around money. Mm-hmm. Now, husband, what are your things? How do you feel about money? What's your relationship with money? What are your priorities? I think what happens is that we get into this tit for tat of blaming and people get defensive really quickly and it shuts down lines of communication yeah. and being able to move forward. She can, she, he, they, I'm not sure. Ask, honey, what's going on? Like, it seems like you're upset about something that I'm like, how I'm navigating money. And I don't want us to feel that way anymore. So like, let's like, let's talk about, let's get on the calendar and Mm -hmm. we're going to have a nice night on a Friday and we're going to talk about some dollars. (laughs) Yeah. And I also think that we have to remember this is separate, but I was listening to a podcast episode about how we have to remind ourselves sometimes the person that we've chosen to spend our life with or love was also a child once that experienced things that we weren't around for and has triggers for many different things. And so something that may trigger my husband with money, I might not even think of and then vice versa. And so I do think we have to, again, have those conversations of your relationship with money so that you can conceptualize why someone may be reacting that way. Yes. And give them grace, like you mentioned, of like, this is bringing up a lot for them because when they were young, they saw or experienced X, Y, Z. Yep, exactly. And I think that's what's really hard is that people don't know because somebody else may not have shared. Yeah. And you have to be vulnerable. Like you have to come to the conversation with a level of vulnerability and the person you're having it with also needs to come with a mm-hmm. level of vulnerability and being open about, hey, you know what? It was really hard for me when I was told no when I was a child. I felt like we never were able to get the things that I really, really wanted. And now that I am making X, Y, Z, now that we have more money, I want to just give our kids everything. Yeah. And that's okay. And that now puts you at a place of, hey, really, you just want to do the right thing by your babies. And that's a, and that's beautiful. But we're not going to put ourselves in debt because you want to make sure right. that they have X, Y, Z. 
we can't do that because that hurts them too. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, parenting is a whole separate side of this conversation because mm-hmm. so much comes up Truly. from childhood when you're <laughs> money and not when you're then on the other side of things. I'm yeah. like, oh, wow, that's why I do that. Yep. In terms of we discussed like having the conversations, knowing where everything is, but where is that line where you don't, I think it's easy for someone to potentially then get like obsessive Mm -hmm. where you're tracking every single cent. And look, I can realize that there are people, certain means Mm -hmm. where you really are measuring every dollar because every dollar really does matter. Yep. But if you are in a comfortable position of life where that is not the case, how do you avoid then obsessing and stressing over every dollar spent? I mean, in true therapist fashion, I'm like, okay, well, what are we so anxious about? What are we trying to prevent in obsessing over every cent? Probably the fear of losing everything. Okay. Now we're talking about something. So I don't feel I don't feel this way, but I I witnessed it. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be it could be anything, right? So whatever it is for you or that person, and you as in the listener, Mm -hmm. (laughs) figure out what is like actually at the root of that. What is the emotion at the root? A lot of times if somebody's obsessing over something, it's usually about anxiety. It's usually about fear, concern, worry. What are you worried about? What are you worried is going to happen? Now, to your point, I love that like you have to have your basic needs met, right? If you don't have the basic needs met and you're not taken care of, it's going to be really hard not to be stressed out about certain things. So if everything is okay, you don't need to be checking your bank account every day. To me, that is kind of like what's going on signal. What do you need to feel like you are stable? Pause there. What do you need to know is happening within your money to feel like you are stable? Where do you want it to look like? And are you there? Mm -hmm. Um, Because to me, if somebody's obsessing about it, it's not really about the numbers. It's not about like what's in the account or what it looks like. It's about something else. And we have to figure out what that something else is so we can change the money behavior. It's interesting because I feel this way about a different aspect of my life. And it's mm-hmm. so applicable of like the obsession mm-hmm. because it's waiting for the other shoe to drop or like this is too good to be true. Oh, this is all going to go away. Right. Yeah. Gosh. All right. Okay. <laughs> Another listener question. How to manage the mental load of student debt and not hate yourself for your career path? Yeah. Oof shed a tear for a minute. <laughs> I have student loan debt still. I It upsets me sometimes, but thinking about when you were younger and you made that decision, did you know? Yeah. I mean, and a lot of the times no. the answer is no. They're children. Right. Right. And I think it is easy when you are more mature, when you do know to be like, oh, I made such an awful decision. That was horrible. And to beat your baby you like beat yourself up about it and you just didn't know and that's okay. So cry about it, like feel the emotions, feel it, feel sad, be angry, do all the things you have to do with that feeling. It's time to give yourself grace and say like, I did not know. I thought this career was going to be what I could do with my mm-hmm. with myself and be okay and be passionate and feel happy about it. Like, listen, not too many therapists are going into the industry because we're making all the dollars, you know, right. like you have to do other things and that's fine, but you can figure out what skills can you get from that current job and potentially parlay it into something else and move into a different career. And hopefully it is something. And if it's not, then it might be, okay, well, you do have this level of education, whatever it is, where else can you get hired that you might be interested in? But I think especially when it comes to student loan debt, it's it's really hard because people feel a lot of guilt about it and they feel a lot of shame. And 
you needed the student loans. Like you needed the loans to do whatever it is that you wanted to do. And that felt important to you. And you have to honor that person, even though the current person today was like, that was a bad choice. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah. Those two things can exist. Those two emotions. Yeah. With that, because I think a lot of these people, just if you're looking at college, like we're young when deciding to take on these student loans. And that I think ties into family and there could be emotions around your parents of like who approved this, who allowed this. On the flip side, do you have any tips for supporting stubborn parents who are not financially stable? (sighs) Yes. So, I mean, first you have to decide like what, what do you want the outcome to be? right? Like in your perfect world, what would happen for them? What do you want to see them? And know that that's the case, but then also know that they are adults and they have choice and they may not want to listen to you. Yeah. Part of that may be, hey, I'm going to prepare myself for them not being prepared or for them being in a certain position and you can only do what you can do. I'm going to try to lead them down this other path. I'm going to try to give them the information they may need, try to educate them as much as possible. But really, at the end of the day, other than you being prepared for whatever they may not be prepared for, you really can't do anything. And no adult can truly control another adult. Like, I mean, no person can truly control another person in general. I don't don't care how old you are. So I think although there is a level of responsibility or sadness or just feelings that you may have towards your parents who are being a little bit more stubborn (laughs) You also know that you can't change people if they don't want to change, and that's okay. And you can then feel those feelings, prepare as much as you can prepare for what you can do, but keep trying gingerly and hope that they come over to your <laughs> line of thought. <laughs> but yeah. And emotionally, when it comes to your own finances, someone asked, how do you embrace having a real income while also not overspending? I mean- like, I feel like we all feel, not to cut you off, I feel like- when you finally, when you're in a place that's financially stable, we either fear we're going to overspend and lose it all, or it's like, I still don't have enough based on what everyone else has. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why we've created this concept of yeah. like, it's never enough. But I do know that a lot of my friends have dealt with this, like as we've made money and potentially paid off student debt, like, and you're in a place that's stable, how do you decide? Like, and I, there's no right answer, but like, what is appropriate to spend? Mm-hmm. Like, how much can you spend? Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, figure out what what number, what your numbers are. Mm-hmm. Um, how much money do you have extra after you are doing whatever you need to do for your future, doing whatever you need to do for your past? And when I say those things, it's like future you, what kind of money do you need, whether that's retirement or whatnot? Past you is like debt usually. Yeah. And then decide like what's the rest of like the money that you have left over? What's the di- discretionary like money that you have? that doesn't go to your bills or your other financial priorities. And then if everything is taken care of, enjoy yourself. Like, please spend the money. I think a lot of times we focus so much on save, 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 save. But nobody talks about like, no, you also should enjoy your money. It is there Mm -hmm. to have a life and to enjoy it too. And when your spending tends to like upset your other priorities, that's when you know you need to kind of back off. So I mean, I know people hate the word budget, but I'm going to bring it up. Um, (laughs) In your budget or your spending plan, whatever you want to call it, 
allow yourself whatever that extra money is that is not going to saving, not going to your financial priorities to say, okay, last month, this is how much I spent. This month, this is how much I spent. You can track it in like three months or so, and you can average and say, okay, I find that I spend X amount of money every month on nonsense, whatever Mm -hmm. it is going to Starbucks, avocado toast, you know, all the things that people like to hate on millennials for shopping, whatever it is. So take an average of like three months or six months and decide, okay, I am spending X, Y, Z. That's, that's the number I'm going to stick with. That's the number I'm giving myself to have a good time with. I think that there, there are obviously apps and Mm -hmm. I was a big spreadsheet girl just because I fucking love a spreadsheet, (laughs) but figuring out like, okay, what is your income post taxes? Yep. And really get nitty gritty with it. Like, oh, yeah. what what are you paying in debt? What are you paying for your bills that need to be paid? Whether right. it's your mortgage or Verizon or electric, whatever. And I know that there's some percentage that I've heard people recommend. I honestly can't remember what there's, it is now. Uh, a big percentage is the like 50, 30, 20 yeah, rule. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I should probably look to make sure. I think 50% is going to kind of like the life stuff. Right. So what it means to like pay your rent, pay your bills, like all those things. 30% should be going to savings debt. Yeah, you should look because I'm not. It's the 30, 20 part that I get mixed up. And then the 20 part, or maybe it's 20 part to debt and the 30 part is once. 20 to savings. Yeah. 20 to savings. So yeah. 50% goes to like bills. staying alive, yep. bills, like the things that are fixed costs every single month. Yep. Yep. And then 30% is for like your living. Wants. Wants. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 20% is for savings, exactly. whether that's retirement, whatever. And I think that helps people. I'm not going to like die on the hill of that, but mm-hmm. I do think it's helpful just to have a guideline. A guideline. Yep. And I also think that your budget can should shift this is a conversation i was having with someone recently where i was like you have more money like what your budget can shift when you're making more money yep and lifestyle creep is a big thing right like yes please like shift your budget but lifestyle creep is pretty much like you start making money so you start spending more money and that's fine again as long as your financial priorities are still being met so if you're like hey i'm making more money so i am no longer going to save 20% i'm going to save 22% but i'm also going to shift my wants mm-hmm. or i'm going to pay off all of my debt and now i have an extra $500 in my budget i'm going to save 200 of that and i'm going to add 300 to my spending right so lifestyle creep is really important to just keep track of. But if you're not going into debt, you're saving for retirement, you're saving for the things that are important to you and your family and your future, and you're paying all your bills, I'm like, go for it. <laughs> enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah, enjoy yourself. Last listener question, which I deeply resonate with. Why do I spend money when I'm stressed or anxious? Oh, Why do we do this? You're trying to feel better. <laughs> it is the easiest, quickest, like nice little dopamine hit to start spending money. And what goes on in your brain is, I think a lot of people thought like the purchasing part is when the dopamine happens and you're so excited. It's the anticipation of the shop, of the scrolling through things, of walking around the store, the anticipation of finding something, of buying something. That's what your brain's like, oh, well, this is great. This is fun. I feel good. You are not worrying about what you were stressed about when you're like, Mm -hmm. gosh, I really need that blue and teal shoe. That's the shoe I need right now. That is so much more fun than thinking about whatever was stressing you. I'm stressed at work. I need more time to myself. I, you know, all of the mm-hmm. things. It feels good. And and a lot of people do it. But what's happening is that, you know, 
We're not completing our stress cycle. We're just kind of shoving it down because we just put a Band-Aid on it, which was shopping. And it's it's easy to cope with. Like you're trying to cope. Yeah. And then I feel like it leads to more stress. Yes. Like you can't afford it. <laughs> That's how I feel about TikTok. I'm like, if I'm stressed or anxious, I'll pull up my phone and I'll just scroll. And then it distracts me. But then I get more anxious over other things. And I'm yep. like, why have I done this to myself? Right. Because what we're all trying to do is just cope. Right. Yeah. Like life is hard. And I think there's some part of us. I don't know what happened or who told us this narrative that we feel like it should just be like, I feel great every day. Right. I fucking wish. I'm happy every day. That's not real. (laughs) That's not life. Human condition is that we also have to feel pain and discomfort. It's part of it. So if you figure out, hey, what can I do that is okay for me that's going to help me feel better, Mm -hmm. that maybe not, that doesn't involve spending money, that's okay too. And if sometimes it's, you know what? I'm going to get this latte right now because it really does uh, yeah. feel well, so well, good. Why does a special drink feel so good? Right. I'm, sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> all of it is our, all of it's our brain, right? Our brains yeah. love sugar. Our bodies love sugar. Dopamine feels good. Like all of that stuff feels good and we're, we want to feel good. Mm-hmm. But life, you know, has other plans for us. <laughs> so we got to take it where we can and cope the way we can. It's okay to spend sometimes, just not every single time you're right. upset. For people who want more of you, mm-hmm. where can they best support you? Uh, so you can find me on the social. So I'm on Instagram mostly. I'm trying to dabble in TikTok. I know. We talked about this. I really like it. But I'm so well, obsessed with TikTok with in it. a different th- in a different yeah. kind of way. Like, I love TikTok content. But you can find me at Asia E Therapy. So A-J-A-E Therapy. I, on my website as well, Asia Evans Counseling. I am currently writing a book, which is amazing and so great and so much about all of this and just really diving into why we think the way we feel about money and our relationship with money and our stress cycles Mm -hmm. and why it feels so good to go down those aisles of Target in the fall like damn I literally have it planned on my calendar for Monday (laughs) with my best friend I have a chapter literally dedicated to that very thing. Because I texted her yesterday. Can we do a home goods target run yeah. for fall decor on That's Monday it. without our kids? That's it. And no kids is like the and real I sweet can't spot. Wait. <laughs> well, also because I get to do it with my best friend. Like yeah. that's so fun for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> I can't wait to go have lunch and unpack all of my money stuff. Yeah. Now. I love you. Thank you for coming on here. Uh, thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Of course. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.